the topic we're going to talk about in a little while is prayer. Um, you know, we're doing this uh, seven weeks um, from our follow series that a whole bunch of us have gone through the follow series, follow training. And today we're on the topic of the seven, it's the seven attributes of a Christ follower. And today we're going on the topic of learning to pray. And um, I just thought, if I'm going to have to talk about prayer, I'm bringing in the heavy hitter. And so the one who is, who is um, for me, you know, I kind of know her pretty well. I've been married for 34 years next week. And uh, um, she put up with me that long. And I thought, if I want to talk about prayer, I'm going to bring the person in who taught me more about prayer than anybody else, um, Suzanne. But it's also a special day, and she's going to kill me for saying this, but Suzanne turns 29 again today. So it's her, it's her, it's her, 29th, her 29th birthday again today. So happy 29 birthday. 29 for the 13th time. <laughs> so happy birthday, sweetheart. Thank you. Yeah. Nothing else I'd rather be doing. Than being um, here. Being here. Together so. with your church family. Yes. Yep. Talking talk, about prayer. Talking about prayer. That's right. And so that's what we want to do today is we want to talk, spend an actually, you know, 30 or 40 minutes talking about learning to pray. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, it's interesting, in the scriptures, the disciples, it's not recorded the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach us how to, to, to heal, teach them how to preach, teach them how to cast out demons, all those things we see them doing in the New Testament. The only thing we see the disciples asking Jesus to teach them how to do was Jesus teaches how to pray. And so it tells me something. It tells me that prayer is not natural in the sense that we kind of like sit there and sometimes don't know what to do in prayer. And we have all these ideas and, and there's no just one right way to pray. I mean, we're individuals. And, but, um, but we want to talk about some things that we've learned about prayer mm-hmm. over the years that we're hoping can help you. Um, because here's what I believe. Um, your, your Christian life is um, shaped by prayer mm-hmm. and it's, it's, in a negative sense, limited by or in a positive sense, propelled by mm-hmm. prayer. Yeah. And that prayer is, is more vital, I think, than we think mm-hmm. um, because, you know, we're in the Western world, we're very much about we can do it. In an American culture, we're very much as individualistic people of, and I can do it. And um, what Jesus is teaching us about prayer and what we see in the Word of God and what we've experienced is um, really, without Him, we can't do it. That's right. Not right, not yeah. well, not eternally, mm-hmm. not best. And so how do we pray? And so let's, let's start talking about prayer. And again, mm-hmm. a lot of this is just going to be personal about our prayer lives. And the first thing that... I think is really important about prayer is starting with the right narrative about Mm -hmm. God. Understanding what's true about God will, I think, determine whether or not you do spend time praying. And so what do we mean when we say that? So, you know, I was thinking about um, just, I think, our spiritual lives in general. So for a lot of us, we have this experience where we come to Christ and we have this overwhelming um, experience where we experience his love and his grace and it makes it easy to pray at first, yeah. at first and we're like we just feel so forgiven and so free and so um it's just abundant life and then as life goes on and things start happening it, it's kind of like okay like where are you and i think that's kind of where a misunderstanding about prayer comes in where we feel like okay so god where are you and I don't feel like my prayers are as effective anymore. And so if we, 
if we can get the right narrative that God loves me and he's forgiven me and he has grace for me and that way I can still go to him in prayer confidently even though I'm not seeing the end result. And you know, because sometimes we equate the unanswered prayer with he doesn't love me yeah. or, or he's not with me. And that's not a correct narrative. Right, because so. the narrative is a story we believe about God. What do we believe to be true about God? And so we just, we're just really quickly thinking of some, some scriptures that speak to the narrative of the fact that if you believe God loves you and you believe God wants to be with you, then you will want to be with God because he wants to be with you. And you'll know that when you're wanting to be with him, um, that, he, that he is happy with you. Even though you're struggling, he is happy with you. He loves you. And that'll make you want to go into that presence no matter if things are good or bad days are going on. And so we're just thinking, you know, let me just read a couple of verses that just, that, that just inform us about what does God really believe about you? Because I can tell you what God believes about you. And that's, that and 50 cents won't get you a cup of coffee, right? But, especially if you go to Starbucks, right? But God's word, what God's word says to you, you can stand on. And so the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, it says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. Say it with me. He loved us so much. He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. First John chapter 4, verse 16, he says this, And we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in his love um, live in God, and God lives in them. So it says, it says, we know how much God loves us. First John four nineteen says, we love God. Why? Because he first loved us. Romans 8, 37 to 39 says this. No, despite all these things that Paul's been writing about in Romans there, about all these problems that, that the church world's going through. And is there any problems you're ever going through? Anybody ever going through a problem? Right, right, okay, maybe. Despite all these things or all these problems, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so overwhelmingly, the scriptures talk about the fact, what's God think about you? Yeah, and I was actually kind of hoping that our granddaughter Josie would be in here today because I would have brought her up. Um, and just for the, the visual picture of Josie's eight months old, and there's nothing she has to do to make me love her. There is nothing. She's just she has Josie. Poop plosion, Mammy Love. <laughs> Right? <laughs> yes. Oh, I you get know, to clean you up. Crabby, you know, whatever. She doesn't have to do anything to earn my love for her. I just love her because she's my granddaughter and she's a, a fruit of our, our family. family. And that's how God looks at us. And once we understand that, um, that that his love for us is unwavering, even you know, even in the seasons that things are hard and aren't going how we feel they should, or you know, his kindness is leading us to repentance. Like if we understand that, 
the love propels us toward that relationship with him in such a beautiful way that it goes from being this obligation and a performance thing to no i i know he loves me so much and i love him so much because of what he's done for me that i can't help but go i can't help but be with him you know it it's the uh, reciprocity of the relationship yeah. and that's what and you know that's all prayer really is right it's being with god and so when, when Jesus is asked, how do I pray, what he describes, and we're going to get into it in a little while, is basically just telling the disciples how to be with God, you know? And, and we, you won't want to be with God if you think he's the mean, the mean ogre in heaven with lightning bolts trying to zap you. But you will want to be with God if you understand he loves you so much that it says, like one text we read, even while we get sinners, Christ died for us, that he is the one who's reaching out to us and as you said, use the word reciprocity, we're reaching back, we're responding back to God. Right. That love is a response, that, that we're, prayer is a response back to God's love. Mm-hmm. And I think um, one thing that we've noticed in, like, it, it just as it happens in our own life and just in, in the church world life as a whole is um, the longer we serve God and the more we pray, you know, there's a lot of complexities to prayer, but people just want to quit praying because they're like, it doesn't matter. But it really does because the love relationship cannot continue growing. You know, we didn't get to 34 years of marriage without con- communication and interaction. And, and, and 34 years of marriage doesn't mean every day has been a perfect day. It's not. <laughs> I love what you, you every what are you I, I love you every day but I mean but there's days right Some days you don't like Every me. marriage has them we all have days and you're like can I go on a vacation alone today <laughs> But you know I mean really right I'm not the only one right It's just it happens okay we don't get the we don't get to 34 years of marriage without going through the hard stuff and it's the same thing with Christ you know with this relationship with our father we don't get the relationship if we just shut down and quit praying because that is our the main mode of communication right we're praying we're being with him and um you know in life we can get disillusioned and we stop that but then it stunts our our relationship and our ability to hear and our ability to walk out what he's asking us to do so and so in that relationship in in prayer being prayer being the relationship and i think that's what i want you, we want you to hear today is prayer is the relationship we're going to talk about some components of prayer that Jesus taught to his disciples, right? But, but the relationship with God is prayer. And so it's the communion. It's the being with God. And I think one of the important things when Jesus teaches on prayer, and I'll read the, the text in a, in a, in a minute, um, but one of the important things that he taught, and I think this is, he's trying to get us to understand it's the relationship, is that when they ask Jesus how to pray, he says in the, right before he does the Lord's Prayer, he says, go into your prayer closet and shut the door. So he's basically saying, go get alone just with me. Just with me. And that he's trying to say, I want, it's about a relationship. That when Suzanne and I were just alone, it's just the two of us, it's about the relationship. And um, because I can say I'm in a relationship with Suzanne when she's in the kitchen and I'm in the garage. And that's true, we're in a relationship. But we're not really in a communication relationship, right? So Jesus is saying an important part of, our, of your prayer life is that being alone together with him. 
And the reason I bring that up is I think there's been kind of a shift in the understanding of prayer in the last decade or so in the church world. You know, when I first got, came to Christ, got saved in the early 80s, a big part of my prayer life with everybody else's prayer life was like kneeling down in a chair alone with God. And you know, you know the apostle James, you know what his, his nickname was? So we the book of James, half-brother of Jesus. You know historically what his nickname was? Old Camel Knees. You know why they called him Old Camel Knees? Because he was kneeling down with God so much that he had huge calluses on his knees. So he was known for doing that. Well, so I think when Jesus says, get alone in prayer, he goes, go in your prayer closet and shut the door. And I'm not necessarily saying the the posture is the thing that matters, right? You've got to kneel. Although there's something about that, about reverence. But the thing is, the idea of prayer, yes, it's something we pray pray always, but but a vital component of our prayer time is shutting everything else out and just being alone together with God. And, and that's why I think Jesus says, you know, shut the door. Um, and I think it says this when we shut the door, when we, when we put everything else aside. And everything else aside, to me, means your phone's on silent. And the reason you shut the door, I, so for me, is when I shut the door, so I go, my, a lot of my prayer times are either in my office or in my office at home, and I physically shut the door. And it also says to everybody else, he's not available. It says to Suzanne, he's not available because I'm being available to somebody else. And so I think there's been a shift in that, this idea of that, you know, prayer is just, it can be just walking out. It is, it's walking and talking with Jesus and everything. But a vital part of it is, is getting alone together with God. And I think that's what he's saying when, in the scriptures, and again, I'll read the text in a second, where he says, shut the door. And I think the the continual prayer throughout the day is the overflow of being of, of being alone and shutting yourself off. And I'll just say this: as um, a couple or as a family, the best thing you can do, the be- one of the best gifts you can give each other, is to allow your spouse and your children to go shut the door and be with the Lord. <laughs> you know, because as dealt couples, with that this winter, mm-hmm. where we're used to having that, and and we were in Florida, and um, at some wonderful people's house. And uh, um, we were there, and we found we were like our our personal lives, like walking with God. It was we were like, what feels off? And what was off is that we were always together. We were and having our quiet times in the same room together. And we were together. Well, I'm not. I'm, I'm used to shutting yeah. the door. Right. And so just, we said, okay, different. let's 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 think about this. How can we physically just do it differently? Mm-hmm. Because hey, we want to be together all the time, but. But I think God just wants us to be together with him. So we had to change how we did stuff mm-hmm. so, that, so that we understood, okay, here's time with just you have by yourself mm-hmm. with yeah. Jesus, yep. right? Yep. And so the, that, that importance before we talk techniques and, or in components, the idea that prayer is this idea that God loves you so much that he just wants to be alone with you, at least for a part of every day. He wants to be alone, and then the outflow of that is your life with him. I think a lot of times we, we cut out that part of it. And I think if we cut out that part of it, that alone with God part, the other part isn't what, it's, what God really wants it to be. Yeah, and I was talking with somebody this week that they said, you know, I realized that in my life I wasn't able to even have time to set aside to be with the Lord. Um, and so they made, like, some huge life changes. And I said, you know, I think as Christians... We, ha- we are the ones who dictate our schedule. And so, you know, life happens. 
jobs come, expectations grow, like all of those things change. But at the end of the day, we're the ones who have to say, is this a priority to me? You know, even just to take 30 minutes or 15 minutes to be alone with the Lord. Um, and if you're like, I don't even have 15 minutes to sit in quiet with the Lord, then I, I would suggest maybe reevaluate what needs to be cut what, out. What needs to be cut out because because your, the abundant life He has for you won't you won't have access to that without a big that part of being relationship. able to establish that alone time with God is to say what in my life is less important to me than this. So this really struck me a number of years ago, and I've probably told you, I've told a number of you this in different counseling situations and talking situations, but it was a life event that changed my mind about, about God, even though it wasn't directed towards God at all the time, that I called a friend of mine who is a very successful, very busy um, businessman. And I wanted to ask him a question about something personal about finances. What if, should, I, should I make this decision in my life? And I wanted to run it by somebody I really trusted. And so I called him up and I said, Jim, um, I'm so sorry for bothering you. I know you're so busy. And he says, Mark, just like the President of the United States, we all woke up with 24 hours this morning. And we get to choose how we spend our 24 hours. And there's nothing I would rather do with part of my 24 hours right now than to spend it talking to you. Because I just didn't want to bug him because I knew how busy he was. And he's like, listen, the president's deciding how he spends his 24 hours. I decide how I spend my 24 hours. But what spoke to me about that was in my prayer life, I get to choose how I spend my 24 hours. And we got to say, what's the most important stuff? What's God in, what, what gift could God give me? You know, Dallas Willard um, if you've ever read his books, he's one of the most influential Christian writers of the last hundred years. Um, he talks about the cost of non-discipleship. He says, everybody talks about how much it costs them to do the right things with God. He goes, but no one talks about what it costs you if you don't do the right things with God. He goes, what it costs you is the life that God has promised you of abundance. And God says, I'll give you a life, uh, abundant life, a life overflowing. That's the life he gives you and the anchor of that is this alone time with God. And he said, so if you, don't, if you don't prioritize those things, what it will cost you is the very gift that God promised to give you, a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. He says, that's what you're giving up if you don't, if you don't live, the, live the gift that God has given you. So some of the times we just have to ask questions What's the most important stuff? And if I really, and most of our lives aren't that full, but if it's that full, you've got to make some, you've got to make some margin in your life. And you've got to say, what are the things that I have to give up um, that are just not as good? There's not as beneficial for me, right? So we shut the door um, to spend time alone with God. Now that teaching that we're going to say, that teaching of, study, of shutting the door comes out of the Sermon on the Mount. And so I want to read, because some of you, I, you know, may not be familiar with this. And I, cause I remember a time a while back, somebody came to me, they were brand new to the church and they were here and they said, um, they're talking about a, a relative being very sick. And they came to me and said, pastor, will you give me a prayer for this? And I didn't know what they meant. I'm like, give you a prayer. What do you mean? Give you a prayer. Would you give me a prayer? I want to go with the pray with pray for this person. And they really didn't know Jesus at all. And that was kind of evident what, what they what they were saying to me. I said, it dawned on me. They're going like, is there a written out prayer 
that I can give you. And I thought, oh my goodness. And I said to the person, have you read a Bible? Ozaki County, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. They said, I've never seen a Bible in my life. I've never held a Bible. And I found so many people, so many people mm-hmm. over the years in this church that have never held the Bible. I can't tell you how many people, when they've come to church, they said, this is the first church I've ever stepped foot in in my life. And they're in their 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. And so they've never even been in a church. Yeah. And so I just preface that to say, I was going to say, well, you all know the Lord's Prayer. But you might not. And so this is from the, Jesus preached a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest sermon recorded in, the, in the, all the scriptures from Jesus. So it's the best sermon, the greatest sermon from the greatest preacher of all time. Jesus Christ, his sermon recorded. And in, in, in there, he talks about prayer. And this is what he says. Um, so do not be like them, for your father knows. He's talking about people who pray just repetitious words. He says, um, because he knows what you need before you ask him. In verse 9 he says, but then, or pray then in this way. So this is in response to the disciples saying, how can we pray? He says, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or our sins as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so what we, you know, Jesus said, when they asked how to pray, he said this. So based on the fact, and we've already said this, based on really the idea of you're coming to your father, because that's the idea of the right narrative about God. And the reason we hesitated just saying right off the bat, um, the right narrative about God is, well, think about your father. Because some of us, when we think about our father, it's not necessarily a good thought. And so we wanted to preface it by saying, what's the Bible say about God is like? Mm-hmm. Jesus described what God is like as our Father mm-hmm. in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount. So the narrative about God is he's our Father, we're coming to our Father, and then we're, we're engaging with God in some, in some different ways. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. first thing we find is um, this, this kind of prayer pattern that we can use. Now, you could, you could pray this. There's a reason why it's recorded, because you could actually just pray this as a prayer. And I was raised in, you know, well, I was raised in a liturgical church where I didn't learn anything, really much of anything, so I didn't really know if to pray it as a prayer. But then I came into evangelicalism, and it was just all about this idea of, like, free prayer. You just pray whatever comes in your mind, and I think that's really good. But we're missing something if we don't have a model for prayer. So this is a model for prayer, and you can just pray it unto the Lord, and I do it every day. Yeah, I pray too. this as a prayer. Yeah. But also from there, we see some components in the Lord's Prayer that are just really important components to, to integrate in that alone time with God mm-hmm. in a prayer time. And we're just going to go through those kind of quickly today. So the first one would be worship. Mm-hmm. It says, hallowed be thy name. Now, we just spent mm-hmm. 20 minutes doing worship, mm-hmm. singing unto God. It's one of, an expression of worship. Yep. But in prayer, um, I think, and this is why you go in the room and shut the door. I really believe this. Worship is part of it. Now, one of the ways you can do that, and we have a, did you know you have a worship book in your Bible? What's the worship book of your Bible? The book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is a worship book in the Bible. So one of the ways you can, and I think, I, so honestly, Psalms was meant to be sung and recited out loud. The book of Psalms. That's how it was written. Much of them, you'll see, that could be called like a prayer of ascent. They were to be sung as they were going to Jerusalem. They were recited as they go to Jerusalem. And so it's a, it's a prayer book of the Lord. So you can pray, you can worship the Lord by out loud reading the Psalms. You can do that. It's one of the ways you can do it. But another way is simply 
just singing unto the Lord. And so in my prayer time, very often, I will sing to the Lord. And that's why I shut the door, because it's awkward, right? But it's also, I'm not that great of a singer. You know, I think that's good to God, but it's not good to everybody else. And so um, we want to do that as a group today. And good thing Suzanne's with me, because she sings better than I do. But I want, just, how would you do this in your prayer time? Yeah, just close your eyes and let's sing to the Lord. So let's do that. Let's just, for a minute, close your eyes. Mm -hmm. And let's imagine you're in your prayer closet, wherever that is. It's in your bedroom. It's in your office. It's in your car. Where's your prayer closet? And Jesus starts off by saying in the Lord's prayer, let's hallow the Father's name. In other words, let's give him his glory. That's what it means to hallow his name, to worship him. And this is how you could do it in your prayer time, just like this. I love you, Lord. Sing this if you know it. And I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you Why would we start off our alone time with God? We have the image of God in our mind. He's our Father. He loves us and wants to be with us. We start off by closing our eyes. We close the door. We get in our closet. I'm in my office, and I begin by worship, worshiping through the Psalms, singing a song. Why would I do that? Why would Jesus put that first? because it sets our mind on the right order, the right Mm -hmm. thing. So we're spending time with God, and we're going to get to in a couple seconds, right, in the prayer of, and here's what I need. Mm -hmm. But when we start by worshiping, it puts things in the right cosmic order. Mm -hmm. It says God is in charge. God has the answers. God is is the source. God is the one I'm talking to. This one who created the universe. This one who loves me. 
this one who has who has everything. He he created everything. He's the one. With, he is the answer to everything. And I start with worship because it starts me looking at everything mm-hmm. from the right perspective. Yeah. And if if singing isn't something that you you're like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, another good way to start in uh, just acknowledging His holiness and His goodness is by what we did this morning in worship, and that's gratitude. Just begin naming. Thank you, Lord, for, you know, thank you for waking up with Mark today. Thank you for my kids and my grandkids. Thank you for providing jobs. Thank, and that's a, a beautiful way to just uh, open up the door to bless the Lord, but also to be reminded of his goodness and holiness. Yeah. So. so the Lord's Prayer, we start mm-hmm. the pattern. We start with worship, and we move into what I think the best way to describe is surrendering our life to the Lord. And so it says, we pray this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so that's very unhuman and un-American. Thy kingdom, thy will. It's always my kingdom, my will. So it's intentionally making a shift Mm -hmm. and saying, Lord, I want to posture myself in a way as I'm in prayer with you in my prayer closet. I know you love me. You want to spend time with me. And I'm saying to you, God, I know the best way to live is thy will be done. Because again, remember, I'm going to be asking for stuff in a minute. And so I need to know your will. I need to look at things from your perspective. Because anybody's ever think their perspective's a little skewed? You ever been 100% th- thought you were right on something and you actually found out you were wrong? Yeah, about a million times in my life. Pastor Paul and Pastor Mitch and I talk very often and go, when we get to heaven, we're going to find out that we were wrong about like half everything we said we were right about. You know, it'd be like, maybe more. We're going to be like, oh, I, I missed that one. <laughs> I was wrong on that one. And Jesus is going to say, it doesn't matter at this point because we did our best, right? But, but we put ourselves in the position of thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And here's an important part of that. I think we ask the Lord to help us see from his perspective. And we ask the Lord to help us. To be, so remember, prayer is about, is about connecting, but it's also about getting better. And we say, God, will you show me if I'm living, how I'm living, that, that I'm on the throne of my life instead of you, that it's Mark's will be done and Mark's kingdom come instead of your will be done and your kingdom come. And I believe the Lord, and it's kind of like, you know, um, ever, ever see Trek, the, the, the animated movie Trek? Shrek, Shrek, I'm sorry. Ogres are like what? Ogres are like onions. And so God peels back the onions. See, you guys know Shrek. God peels back the onion layers in our prayer time, and he incrementally, gradually, as we can handle it, reveals things to us um, about where we're at. And so I, in prayer, say to God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God, show me where it's been the kingdom of Mark and the will of Mark, because I know the kingdom of Mark and the will of Mark is, is taking me on the wrong path. I want to live the good and abundant life that you promised me. I want to live your kingdom, your will. And so we ask for, we ask for insight and revelation, and he'll speak to us in our prayer time. Yeah, and the, the cool thing about this section of prayer is, like, it just really enlarges our perspective on what our life is for. Because if we, you know, we can look at the little things that are happening in our life, and they can be great things or discouraging things, but when we're in prayer and we're like, Lord, your kingdom come, it helps us remember, like, he came to establish his kingdom. And, and as his children, we are part of establishing his kingdom. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty amazing 
powerful thing to say, you know what, today, Lord, you know, direct me in in walking in your kingdom. And so it should be really strengthening and empowering and give us courage to get up and walk through whatever we're facing today. Because even if life is, you know, at your lowest valley point, you still know God is with me. And if, if I am willing to surrender, thy kingdom come, your will be done. He's going to lead me in that. It puts and our so life it's, very, into, it's just a different, it changes our perspective. It puts our life into the meta-narrative of God's kingdom. So meta meaning big, the, met, the meta-narrative. God's got this great big plan he's working out. And I'm a little tiny part of it, but I'm an important part. So are you. And so I'm just, I'm, just, I'm like one knot in the, the huge tapestry he's making. But that knot matters. And so thy kingdom come, thy will be done is saying, here's the big picture, and I'm important but guess what? It's not all about me. And that you could say, well, that's negative. No, that's positive. Very positive. It's positive <laughs> to know it doesn't, everything doesn't rest on my shoulders. Yeah. It's, that, it's, that he has the plan. He's working out. He's big enough to fix it. Right. He's big enough to help me. He's big enough to rule. And I'm coming under his rule and control. I'm not living out here just trying to make it on my own. If you go outside of God's plan, I'm just saying this, willfully walk away from the living in the, the reality and the blessings and the parameters of the kingdom, I just say, look out, because you're on your own, dude. Yep. But I get to pray every day, bring me back into the umbrella of your back kingdom in, in this big meta narrative. Right. And so we worship, Pat, we, we worship first, we surrender our lives to his kingdom, and then what do we get to do? Ask. Ask. Then we ask. ask. Give us this day our daily bread. And there's some thoughts about asking that I that we just came that we that were really important are asking that I think is important to talk about. So let's talk about asking. You're looking at me. Yeah. Okay. I'm then I'll. I'll, I'll I feel like no, I'm doing. So, I'm doing I'll feel like I'm doing all the talking. Yeah. So, no, that's okay. Which no, never happens, right? So, um, so, so I'll I'll say this. So as as his children, we will not ask unless we trust him. And so right now as you're sitting here, if you're like, yeah, like if there's resistance in you right now, like I don't, I'm not going to ask him, then this is a good moment to say why. Why am I not willing to ask? What do you really believe? What, you know, who, you know, in, in Scripture, the, uh, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say I am? Right? That's the question that he's asking us. Who, who do you say I am? Do you really believe that I can meet the need that you're asking me to meet? And the needs don't need to be big. They can be the smallest, you know, I was, I've been listening to this uh, podcast on prayer. And he's talking, they're talking about, you know, like this person, the mother-in-law or something was saying, I need a parking spot. And he's like, God is not listening to your prayer about parking spots, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's going through this whole narrative that's going on in his head. And then sure enough, this parking spot opens up and he's like, God, just like God smacked me. Like, is anything too small? Is anything too small for God? To us, it seems insignificant, right? But nothing is too small and nothing is too big. God, God can provide, but the, the starting point of, of the asking is, do we really trust him? And, and is if, it his will? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so on the point of um, it could be even small, I think it's, it's on purpose why Jesus said this, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't say, give us this day our daily lottery pick, <laughs> right? I remember, huh. when I, I remember when we were itinerating. We were world missionaries. We were in Cambodia. And we had to raise a budget. 
and a, and a lottery was huge. And I'm like, I never played a lottery in my life. And I'm like, Lord, seriously, God, just give me the, the what is it, pick three or whatever. Give it to me. I promise you I will put the 100% of it into, a, into, a, into a, a foundation that will just fund missions and we'll fund our, 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 our budget. I give 100% of way. I won't keep a dime for myself. Just fund us, get us to Cambodia. And, and, I will, and I, well, that year, I remember, it was more than giving of the, all the assemblies God as a whole for the whole year. So just give me the numbers, God. How hard is that? Give me the numbers. And I really felt there's not that many times in your life that you really feel like it's like this overt answer from God. And I had an overt answer from God. He said, I wouldn't do that to you. Give, he said, I want you to live in dependence. Give us this day our daily bread. And, and bread being significant, but it's not like, it's not give me a Rolls Royce, it's give me bread. It's small, but also it's dependent. God is saying, I want you every day. And, and when, we, when we dedicate babies, we talk about that. Jesus said, become like a little baby. Why is he saying that? He's like, I want you to live in a relationship of, of interdependence with me. Because if we don't live in interdependence, we just do our own thing, and our own thing leads the wrong direction. And so he's saying, listen, I'm saying, ask, but understand, in your asking, the reason I said it this way, notice that it says, give us this day. Because he's saying, I want you to ask every day. Not because he's some ogre, but because he wants us to be connected. You were going to have something there. You don't remember what is, you, you had a birthday. <laughs> Can't remember something. Hey, mm-hmm. welcome to the club. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I was talking to somebody at the Brewer game yesterday in the middle of the conversation. I completely forgot what I was saying. They're like, then later they referenced it. They're like, yeah, like that moment you had. I'm like, they're getting more. Oh, so, but I, I do, I actually just now remember. Yes, you saying. are. You, it is a birthday. <laughs> Sorry. No, I was going to say, um, so as children of God, if we, if you say like, because I've heard this come from people, they're saying, I'm not going to ask. There's so many people asking. Why would, like, it's so, I, I don't need to ask them. Or I'm not going to ask him because he already knows. If you're, if he already knows, why would I say it? Um, because it's part of the relationship. Yeah. It's part of the communication. It's part of the, the showing the level of trust. You know, if I go back to the grandchild analogy, we have three of them. I want my grandkids to come and say, Mammy, do you have suckers? You know, Mammy, can we snuggle? Like, I want them to ask me that. And, but if I knew that they weren't coming to ask me and they would sneak over to Mark and ask him and not ask me, I'd be really hurt because I'd say, boy, you don't trust me the same way, right? So asking is a, is a uh, kind of a show of trust. And do I really believe that he loves me? Do I really believe that he's able to answer? Do I really believe that he's going to do whatever he can do to help me live in his kingdom and establish his kingdom here? And on that point, um, to answer the question that says, well, I don't need to ask because Jesus already knows, mm-hmm. Jesus answers that in the Sermon on the Mount. The words right before that I read, right before the Sermon on the Mount, he says, and the Lord knows what you need before you ask him. Mm-hmm. And then he goes through a whole thing of telling you how to ask. Isn't that funny? But he's saying this. He goes, God knows what you want, but God wants you. Yeah. And so yeah. he's saying, I know what you want before you ask me. That's exactly what he says in the text. Yeah. He knows what you need before you ask him. But now this way, I want you to be in relationship with me, and I want you to ask. Yeah. And because it's about, it's about the relationship with him. And so it's, we ask daily. We understand this, that asking is only, if, you, if you're a math guy, it's only one-fifth of the Lord's Prayer. It's one out of five things. 
So it's, it's not the whole thing. A lot of times we think prayer is just going to God and asking, asking, asking. In the Lord's Prayer, it's only 20%. Right. You know, the relationship. In the, out of the relationship comes the asking, but it's only 20% of what he says when he had the disciples to teach those prayer. 20% was asking for stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about the, the smallest thing. It's about bread. It's, but notice this. Give us. Very important. Give us this day our daily bread. It, he's saying our asking isn't just for us, it's for other people. And so this is a time where you, where you pray for, for those needs. You ask God. He's instructing us, how to teach us how to pray. There's a point where he said, now, ask for the most, the most even basic things for those people that are in your circle. And so, you know, we pray every single morning. We tell you this all the time. I try to, in my mind, before we pray together, I try to go through a morning confession that kind of lines up with this. And I pray this certain prayer. And then we pray together. And the biggest part of our prayer is asking, give us this day. And we're praying. We pray for, for every one of our family members, our, our, our close family members. We pray for, you know, the circle kind of includes our parents and under. And then we do pray for you guys as there's specific things that we know relate to your lives going on. We pray for you. We're laying in bed and we're praying for you. That's because it's, why this? Give us this day our daily bread. Um, and so we ask. And, and here's the deal. We're supposed to ask. One of the things that's happened in the, in the soul care movement in the church world today, which I think is wonderful, the soul care movement, you know, given like 10 years of, of learning to it here and you know, lots of education towards it, is it's changed. People are just, I just want to be with Jesus. I just want to be with Jesus. Being with Jesus is cool, but Jesus says ask. Part of being with him is asking, not just being with him. Part of being with him is in asking for what does us need? What does us need? Right? So we, we, we start with worship. We surrender our lives to this big picture of the kingdom. We ask for the most basic things and the big things and the small things, knowing that he, he's, the one, he's the one who told us to ask. Even though he knows it, he said, ask. And then, very interesting, he comes to forgive. And he says, okay, and I ask for a bunch of stuff, but let's do some business with your heart, is what he's saying. He goes this. Now, you forgive everybody of their trespasses against you, and, I'll, and, I, and I forgive you of all your trespasses. Um, what's that all about? So I think we've done, we do really well at um, understanding forgiving other people, that we understand that unless we forgive, we cannot be forgiven. Um, and so that's a very real part of this. Um, and we can talk more about that in just one minute. But the, the part that really I, I want to talk about more today is forgive our trespasses. Because I think it's a component that is so lost um, in our, even in our church world today is that we are really bad at confessing our own sin to Christ or to each other. And there's such freedom in confession. And, you know, none of us is perfect. So confession should not be a source of shame or, you know, penalty or anything like that. I mean, the Bible talks about it. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, you know, that that we should be confessing. And so if we want to have that relationship with Christ that's full and alive and abundant, then the littlest thing we should be okay confessing all the way to the biggest thing, you know. So in the past couple of weeks, one of the things that I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't, I like, I hate to even say it. I'm kind of like, I'll, I'll say it. I'm, I'm embarrassed to even say it, okay? But I'm like, the Lord's like, stop gossiping. I'm like, oh, I gossip? 
So I have to confess that to the Lord. Like, I, I, I didn't even realize I was doing it. And now as I talk to people, I'm like, wait, is this gossiping? I don't know. It's, it's, it's freeing, it's corrective, and it's a way to grow in Christ. And so, you know, I think the part of forgiving other people is really, it's, it's easier than the part of dealing with our own stuff that's going on inside, our own insecurities, our own, um, you know, the feelings of envy and jealousy and, you know, coveting what other people have. And it's, we're human. So the temptations are going to come and he just wants us to come and say, yeah, this is real. This is really what's going on deep inside of me. And I want you to take it. Um, and again, that shouldn't be a, uh, looked at as a bad thing, but I kind of think it is. Well, and to understand that Jesus is saying this daily, right? Mm-hmm. So he's, right. remember, God is wisdom. He's the greatest wisdom. And if we want to live our lives the best way, we live his way. He's saying this way. I think of it this way, this section. I think of it like a garbage can. So all the garbage of my life, sin, think people have hurt and offended me, then as I've hurt and offended other people, it's all the garbage of my life. Mm-hmm. It's the trash. And he's saying every day just empty the garbage can. Every day, take the trash out and dump it. Because if you don't dump the trash out, all this unforgiveness um, towards yourself and towards other people, maybe towards God, that festers and it destroys your life. Right. And he's saying, so every single day, empty the trash of your heart. And that's what it is. Forgive others as they've forgiven you. And I'm going to give you a prayer practice that helps me do this. And again, we're trying to be really practical on this and say, what's something we can do? So... I've led a bunch of you, and I've taught, we've taught this in classes called, we call, uh, the, the term from a lady named Ruth Hilly Barton is the prayer of movement. And the prayer of movement helps me with this. It helps me in many areas. And, and um, so I'm going to describe it, and then we're going to do it. And so the prayer of movement is this. You have a situation in your life. In this case, we're dealing with forgiveness. So, so you know, John Smith, there's no John Smiths in here, right? Hopefully. John Smith hurt you, offended you, lied to you, cheated you, did whatever, whoever John Smith is in your life, did this to you, or it's you. And what, what we do is we, we, we hold down here in our lap, we hold the situation. We go, this, you know, I know the reality situation, John Smith did this to me. And that's just the situation. So we think of the situation. Then what we do is we raise it up to here. And, we, and physically, we do this with our hands. We raise it up. That's why it's called the prayer movement. And we think of inviting Jesus into the situation. We say, well, what does Jesus say about what John Smith did to me? What does Jesus have to say about it? If I invite Jesus in, how does it change the situation? How does it help me in a situation? Um, what does it show me I should do in a situation? I invite Jesus into it. And for years, I stopped my prayers here. I'd pray for a situation, and Jesus, I bring it to you, and I hold you here. But I learned that that's not where prayer is supposed to stop. Prayer stops by doing this, and now I give it to you, Lord. I surrender it to you. I'm going to tell you something. Learning this, and the physicality of doing this has made a difference in my life. Learning to do this. All of my, my prayer closet, I'm doing this. Um, you know, somebody offends me, and I'm like, I can't get past it. Every time I close my eyes, I think about it. I'm like, this is a situation. Jesus, I invite you in, and I deal with it with Jesus. Here's what I think you say, but now I release it into your care. And God, I always pray this. God, and if I pray, you go, you pray that every time. I do. God, no, you do what only you can do. Now, what's going to happen is when you come for prayer at the end of church, you're always going to go, oh, he's doing this praying to prayer movement. That's what I do with you every single time you come to pray. I say, there's a situation. We invite Jesus into it. Now, let's release it to God. You go, wow, that's what you're doing every time. And it works for forgiveness. This is what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. Put your hands in your lap. And we're dealing with forgiveness here. 
I want you to think of a situation where forgiveness is needed. It says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So what is a trespass in your life? A sin that is there and one that you need to forgive somebody of or you need to be forgiven of. So think of the sin that there is. Think of the offense. The offense, somebody who hurt you. And you're having a really hard time getting past it. So hold that down in your lap, in your hands. Think of the situation. Now raise your hands up just a a little bit, six, eight inches, and hold your hands cupped together and, and invite Jesus in your mind, in your soul, invite Jesus into the situation. Think of what Jesus from the scriptures would have to say about that situation. What does Jesus say? Not what do you think. What does Jesus say in his word about the situation? What does he say about loving your enemy? About blessing those who persecute you? What does he say about the need to be holy as I am holy? What does Jesus speak to the situation? A lot of times we don't want to hear what Jesus has to say because we just want to be mad about being mad. We want to be unforgiving. We want to live in rebellion. And he's saying, what what do I say about it? And let the Holy Spirit speak to you. What does Jesus say about it? And now we're going to lift that need and release it to God. We lift it literally. Raise your hands up. Some of you it's really hard to do in church. Lift your hands up and release it to God. And we say, God, now, Lord, do what only you can do in this situation. I release this situation. I release this person. I release this into your care. And I pray for you to carry it so that I don't have to carry it because I wasn't designed to carry it. So I now give it over to you in the name of Jesus. All right. You can put your hands down open your eyes. I promise you, I promise you, if you will practice that, it'll change the way you walk away from your prayer time. You will walk away from your prayer time feeling like you forgave or you've experienced forgiveness. And you don't have to apply just to forgiveness. That prayer, that just, there's something, the physicality of doing that. There's something about doing that for me and for a bunch of you because I pray with times that people at the altar, I pray with them. I do this. I grab their hands and I do it with them and they start bawling. They start crying because... It's the reality of what God's doing in your moment. Mm -hmm. So in your prayer time, forgive us. So God's saying, don't let the garbage build up in the can. Maybe this helps you. Maybe this doesn't help you. But either way, dump the garbage can every single day. Yeah. I just want to share um, a quote. I think John Mark Comer said this, but it just sums up the need to take care of the uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. It says, confession is a refusal to hide like Adam and Eve did in the garden. Confession is what stands in the gap between who I am and who I long to be in Christ. Confession causes us to, to undress and return to God naked and unashamed. And I think when, you know, you're talking about like people crying and having this very real um, response to doing a spiritual exercise like that, it's because we're coming back to our very creator, the lover of our souls, and there's nothing separating us. And he's just giving us the opportunity to return to him naked and unashamed. Yeah. And it's a gift. And, and remember, Even though it's hard. all of this is about a gift. Right. All of this is the gift of the relationship. So let's look at the last. So we yeah. looked at, we begin with worship, we surrender our lives, we put it in the meta narrative of the kingdom, we ask um, for us and for others, even the most basic things. We empty the garbage can, 
in our hearts. So imagine if every day, in 30 minutes, you did this every day, what a better footing we'd be on. Yeah. And then the last thing is this, um, we overcome. Yeah. This, and, and listen to me, friends, this is the point that I felt that I needed to make the strongest comments about of this yes. whole sermon. Yep. We overcome. It says, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Yeah. For thine is a kingdom and the power and the glory. So it puts it in the, in the context of God's meta-narrative. Thine is a kingdom and the power and the glory. God's the ultimate authority. But what's he say about this? He says, in this idea of the ultimate authority of God, there's a very real enemy. That's right. Anybody remember a guy named Keith Green? Keith Green, some of us. He was like the first guy who brought rock music to the church <laughs> world. It was not rock music, but uh, in this today's. But he used to sing a song. And it was, the line of the song was this. He's singing from the perspective of the devil about America. He's singing about America. And he says, it's getting very easy now because they don't even believe in me anymore. And that's what's happened in our Western culture. No other culture in the world doesn't believe in the reality of a, of a, of a personified evil sure. being the devil. The scripture believes in a personified evil, the devil, because Jesus is the one who says it's real here. Jesus said... To, to, to keep us from the evil one, deliver us from temptation, and free us from the evil one. He's saying there's an evil one that's out there. You know, in, in the book of Peter, First Peter, Peter says this to Christian people. He doesn't say this to lost people. This is what Peter says to you and me. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm in the faith. How do we resist him? It's about this prayer relationship. That's how we resist him. It's about we get in this right relationship, we expose ourselves to God, and God will point out what's wrong in our lives, and we choose to repent, we choose to change our direction. Otherwise, friends, let me tell you, I believe, and Franklin Graham said this recently, Franklin Graham said, he believes that every demon in hell has been unleashed against the church in America. Mm-hmm. I deal with pastors all over the state because my position is a presbyter. I deal with pastors all over. They call me all the time. And I'm hearing from pastor after pastor after pastor just insane things happening in their church. And they're like, what's going on? What's happening, Mark? And I keep quoting Franklin Graham. Like, it feels like every demon in hell has been unleashed against the church in America. Yeah. It's, it's this. It's our roost. It's our, it's our it's old saying, your chicken's coming home to roost. Our chickens are coming home to roost. We haven't believed in the devil anymore. Yeah. We don't believe in hell anymore. The Bible talks about hell. It's a real, I, I wish it wasn't real, but it's a real place. Yeah. There's heaven and there's hell. We don't believe it. The fear of God has vacated the church. Right. There's no fear of God anymore. There's, Paul talks about God's, his grace and his severity. And so we've been so much talking about this loving God, and he's a loving God. He loves you infinitely. He loves you so much, he wants to deliver you from the evil one. And we're opening up ourselves to going down the paths of destruction because we just don't believe evil exists anymore. It's not a fairy tale. Peter says there's a very real devil, and he hates you. He's like, what does he say? He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour the Bible clearly tells us that the times get closer to the return of Christ, and we don't know when that's going to be, but as the times get closer, the evil increases. And I'm telling you, as your pastor, I don't believe there's a time in this, li- in this life that I've lived that is more important to be connected to Christ so you don't get picked off. Yep. Because I'm watching people get picked 
off by the devil and they think they're just making choices. They're literally being picked off by the devil and they're being destroyed. They're being destroyed. And pastors across this district are calling me and going, these guys and gals are getting destroyed. They're making stupid choices. They're being destroyed. They don't understand this is what it is. Jesus said every day we pray this way. God, protect me from the evil one. That there is evil in this world, and how does evil, how does he work? How does the devil and his demons work? We have some insight into his scripture, but we see it, he does, he works by affecting people. He affects how people act towards people and decisions we make. And so the devil is, Keith Green was right 30 years ago, well, probably 40 years ago, he's saying, it's getting so easy, they don't even believe I'm around anymore, I can do whatever I want. It's masked in our culture today as just individualism. You do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you feel. God gave us this book for a reason. It's guardrails. It's protection. He loves you so much that he says, I'm going to give you some guidance. I'm going to give you some protection. And if you will live in the protection of my word, you will be protected. But if you choose to go outside the umbrella of it, you're you're just fodder for the devil. You go, well, Pastor Mark, you're being pretty strong today. I'm being pretty strong today because I love you so much that I'm tired of watching people get picked off. I'm tired of having to answer the phone for pastors every week going, my church has gone insane. I don't know what to do. They're making stupid decisions. And I'm like, you're not alone. And you know what they say? I'm glad to hear I'm not alone. And I'm going, yeah, but it's gone nuts. Here's the deal. God is the one who said to us, there is a real devil. Jesus said, and he said every day, to ask God to protect you from him. And guess what I want to do every day? I'm going to ask God to protect me from the devil. Make me aware of his schemes. Make me aware of his plans. Help me see the truth. Let me live in forgiveness. You know one of the ways that you overcome the the evil one? You live in forgiveness. You forgive others, but you deal with the sin of your own life. You say, God, please forgive me for the things I'm doing wrong because those things I'm doing that are contrary to your word are leading me outside of your protection. And outside your protection, I'm damned. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm fodder for the devil. Yeah. So yeah. I'm getting a little too preaching here maybe today. but No. What do you have to say? I actually don't think you are. Um, Bring you know, my because blood the Bible down. says that there is no temptation that's overtaken man that he has not provided a way of escape. And so we, all, we are all, all going to be tempted. But he is providing a way for us. And if, as a child of God, we're not aware enough to understand the temptation, then the other part of that is he's placed us in a community of people that love you so much that would go to you and say, what are you doing? You're destroying your soul. You are destroying your soul. And that is not God's plan. That is not his will. And there are so many lives that are being... Sorry. God wants the best, and he has life. And he has restoration and redemption for every story of every man on the planet. And every woman. And the devil wins when there is no restoration and there is no redemption. Because we are the ones, we all have sin. We all do. None of us is beyond temptation. 
But if you can't sense the, the draw of the Spirit to say, don't do that thing, then will you at least heed the words of your brothers and sisters that are saying, what are you doing? There's a passage of Scripture that says, the wounds of a friend can be trusted. And that means if I see Mark doing something and I love him so much, I can't not say something. I can't not go to Mark and say, Mark. You cannot not. Right. I, sorry. Am I saying that I cannot not do it? I cannot let him go down the path of saying you're literally walking outside of God's will for you. You are literally walking outside of God's best for you. And it's not just affecting you. Your decision doesn't just affect you. It affects your family. It affects your children. It affects every person in the church family that you're part of. It's huge. And the devil sits back and laughs because pride goes before a fall. And we can't listen to anybody else. If somebody comes to me and says, oh, Suzanne, you gossiped. No, I didn't. Well, guess what? Yeah, I did. Thank you for bringing this to me. Thank you that you loved me enough to come and say it to me. That is what we're supposed to be doing as a community. And, And the fact that the Lord... Put this as part of a prayer. Lead us not into temptation. It's a really real thing. So deny it. To deny it is just foolish. And to live into it is hard. But what's the choice? We lose our relationship with Christ. We lose an eternity with him. There's just, yeah, there's that's this prayer that teach us to pray lord this prayer is a gift to keep us on the right path and to keep us in a lead us into the healthiest best life possible mm-hmm. we start with the view that god loves us unconditionally we worship him because of who he is we put our lives into the meta narrative it's not just about me i'm part of something bigger and that's, that's relieving, and it's also controlling. It says, I'm part of something. It's not just about me. I ask, give me the things that for us that we need. I forgive. I empty the garbage can. I forgive, and I say, God, I don't want anything that's going to affect me negatively. And then I pray that God will protect me and will lead us into right paths and not into evil paths, and, will, and will, um, that we recognize that there's an enemy trying to destroy us. And his word and his church are protective to keep us from that, to, to live under the umbrella of his, of his goodness and grace, which is, there's an umbrella, but, but if we choose to live outside of it, we're just, we're just a easy pickings for the devil. Jesus said, live in this and you will live the good and beautiful life that I have offered to you. He's giving us a gift. It's called prayer. And so we get to pray this every day. So prayer is just us getting in the room, closing the door, knowing our good love, good God loves us, worshiping him. It's warfare. It's saying, God, forgive me, protect me from the evil one. He's the one who says to ask him to do that. Um, it just, and I'd say this at the end, it's just getting along with God and showing up. Praying this way, but just being with him. So we're going to end this way today. I'm going to see you all to stand with me. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together.
just so you know, we skipped about 50% of what we were going to talk about today. <laughs> Let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, as we, as we end today, the worship team is going to play some instrumental music. Our thought is that maybe one of these points in here somewhere, God has spoken to you today. And I just challenge you, before you run out the door, and do run out the door and drink coffee with your friends, that'd be awesome as part of the church. Before you do that, if God's dealing with you in one of the parts, come here and be like James. Become like old camel knees and kneel down before the Lord who loves you and do business with God. Um, Pastor Paul and Christine will be up here as well as our worship team will be up here to pray with you. Suzanne and I have to leave pretty quick, but um, you got, there'll be people here to pray with you. Um, and uh, don't leave if you have business with God to do. Um, let me pray this great blessing over you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So friends, I encourage you, find a place to pray. When you feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit, you can make your way out of the sanctuary, but don't leave until you've done doing business with God. I'm actually going to say one thing. You can say whatever you want. Yeah. Earlier it was announced about uh, we're starting midweek prayer on Wednesday nights and for the summer. summer. And as a reminder, parents, your kids will not learn to pray unless they see you pray. And as a church community, we have kids that are in this service now. We have kids that are going to be coming in. And if they don't see us praying, they're not going to know how to pray. Prayer is something that's caught more than it's taught. We can, we can sit and talk about it all day, but it's something that our, if we want our kids to be the adults of our age sitting here worshiping, we have to show them. We have to be the example, and we have to show them that it's real. And so I just encourage you, take some time today, pray, but even when you go home and when you're with your kids and your grandkids or interacting with other people's kids, take some time to pray with them. It's a huge act of love to do that. Bring them on Wednesday night. Bring them on Wednesday night, even if it's for 10 minutes. Yesterday we were at the Brewer game, and Suzanne's dad came to the Brewer game. And in the middle of the Brewer game, he says to her, he starts crying, and he says, he couldn't finish the sentence. He said, my greatest memories are, and he started sobbing. And and she said, when we'd come on a Sunday night, and you'd put your hands out around all five kids and pray over us. He said, yeah. So my greatest memories, here's a man, he said, he's 80 years old. He says, the greatest memory of my life is when I would huddle all my kids. The kids were still at home. He put his arms around all his kids, kneeling down behind him and praying for all five of his kids. Friends, start that tradition. Structure is such that, you know, we don't necessarily have that service anymore, but Wednesday nights for three months, bring your kids and pray for them. Pray with them. Teach them what it's like. Yeah. Thank you for reminding us of that. So, as the worship team just begins, as they're praying, playing, find a place to pray. Kneel in your chair, sit in your chair, do business with God. When you feel the right to dismiss, if you need prayer, our prayer team 
prayer people are up here, they'll gladly pray with you. God bless you.